passage that we have today, you may want to keep wide open in front of you because uh, there's lots of metaphors going on. We've got Jesus being a gate. Uh, is he also the shepherd? Isn't he also our lamb of God? Um, when we're using and listening to these metaphors, we don't need to try and make logical sense of them all together. Rather, things are being built on as we go through and as we learn more about who Jesus is, as he shares something of himself with them. But we've also got in this little bit of passage here, this idea of listening to Jesus. The sheep, the flock, that's us, know Jesus's voice. Now, this morning, uh, my husband Richard is preaching at another church, and I'm, I'm here with you, which is delightful. And we thought we'll try an experiment, which is that our boys are going to walk themselves to the 10.30 service, um, because our daughter also happens to be away. Um, so I'm not sure right now if the house is burning down or, you know, if I'm going to get any complaints from the neighbor. We'll see. But as I sat them down this morning at breakfast, I wanted them to listen to my voice as I gave them several instructions of what they could and couldn't do. And the instructions where I was telling them things they couldn't do wasn't because I wanted to restrain them or repress them, but was about loving them and keeping them safe this morning. And sometimes I think, are they listening to my voice? I'm not sure. And I, I go out the room and then I hear one of them repeating to the other one, mummy says we have to, blah, blah, blah. And I think, oh, they do. They do listen to my voice. They do know my voice. And it's a little bit like that for us with Jesus. We do know his voice. And he says so many things to us through his word. And he wants us to listen to his voice. This passage has within it that wonderful verse, John 10.10. 10. I've come, he says, let's read it fully. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What a wonderful thing we've got to rest in this morning as we look at this passage. Jesus has come to give us life to the full. Well, what does that mean? We have a, a local Church of England secondary school that has this motto up all around the school. And if you listen to the teachers, sometimes you think, does it mean life in all its fullness means getting amazing grades? Because it seems that that's where they kind of interpret it. But no, this is about drawing us back to Eden to paradise where we walked in harmony with God. Life in all its fullness is found, is located in a relationship with God. And what that means is that while we wait for God to renew this earth and renew the heavens, while we wait, if we're in relationship with God, then we can experience benefits from that. We can experience peace despite circumstances. We can experience hope despite darkness. We can experience deep friendship with our maker in heaven. We can experience a perspective on the world so that we're not overwhelmed. 
we can experience joy in spite of pain. And Jesus wants to give us this life, life in all its fullness, that will then lead on to an eternal life with him, where all the rubbish stuff in the world is dealt with and gone. And so really, at the start of talking to you today, I just want to encourage you and challenge you. How are you doing at listening to that voice of Jesus at the moment in your life? And I don't know about you, but sometimes when the preacher says things like that, I can think, I think my husband needs to hear this from Jesus, or my children need to hear this, or John the curate really needs to clock this from Jesus at the moment. But forget that for a minute. How are you doing at hearing Jesus' voice? Are you listening to your shepherd? He will be wanting to speak wonderful words of love to you. Truth about who you are as his precious child. So precious that he came to die for you. So loved, so known. And of course, with most of us, because we're not there yet, he'll also be gently giving us some instructions to woo us away from the things that destroy and kill us towards the things of life. And of course, that's individual to each of us. So at the moment, for me, it's Nicholas, turn your phone off. (laughs) What, What is it that Jesus is saying to you? Are you listening to his voice? You see, I've learnt during this uh, pandemic season that my rhythms in life have got quite messed up at times. Um, the, the kind of working really early in the morning and then really late at night because I was fitting in homeschooling meant I got rather addicted to just working 24-7. And I've clocked that, but the work to kind of reel back in from that to make sure that I'm leaving time to listen to Jesus's voice above all the other voices is a challenge. So where are you with that? How's that going in your life at the moment? Let's dive in and look a little uh, bit deeper into the passage. We start in uh, verse one. It says this, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the group of religious leaders at the time, and they don't really recognize Jesus' voice. In verse 6, we hear they don't understand what it is Jesus is saying. They're religious. They do all the right stuff. And yet they totally can't hear God's voice. Quite a challenge for me as a religious leader as I come here today and preach to you. But what's going on here? Well, it does relate a little bit to what's just happened beforehand. You see, in the previous chapter, we've been told the story of a blind man whose sight was restored by Jesus. 
And this miracle caused such a commotion in the community that the blind man was brought before the Pharisees. And instead of being amazed and rejoicing at this wonderful miracle, what did those Pharisees do? They grumbled. Well, you know, that healing shouldn't be done, done on the Sabbath. It wasn't done in the proper way. And, and, and they got cross about this amazing thing that was happening before their eyes. And it proved to those Pharisees that Jesus couldn't really be from God because he operated outside of their rules. Interesting, that isn't a good question. Is Jesus ever operating outside the constraints of the rules I put in my mind? Anyway. So the healing, um, the healed man was brought before the Sanhedrin and he was renounced as a sinner. He was thrown out of the synagogue and made an example of in front of the crowds. And in this doing, the Pharisees showed that they were, in fact, claiming to be the gatekeepers of God. The people who decided when God was at work and when he wasn't. And so Jesus comes right in, in this chapter, and goes, I know, I'm the gate. I am the gate. And into this, we get all these metaphors about sheeping and shepherds and stuff, which, um, let's just kind of be honest, folks, uh, it's not our everyday reality in West London, shepherding and sheep. It's not part of our community. But we need to understand that those that Jesus was speaking to, it massively was, and that Middle Eastern shepherding is very different to how we do shepherding. Um, we uh, drive our sheep, don't we, with sheepdogs and go behind them and drive them into their pens. Uh, the way they do shepherding, and even today, is that they call and their sheep follow them and they go, the shepherds go before them. Lots of things that are different. And so as we look at these passages, we need to kind of gain an understanding of how they did shepherding. But the other thing we also need to be conscious of is that Jesus is not coming up with these stories on his own. Jesus is relying on the stories he's already spoken throughout the Old Testament. And so in Jesus' mind, when he's sharing these, these stories and these metaphors and these illustrations, we also need to be aware of things like Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, God's really upset by bad shepherds. And the bad shepherds are the religious leaders. And so into this kind of chapter that we've got here, Jesus is sort of saying, you guys are actually being bad shepherds. You religious leaders are being awful. You're robbing people of real life in me. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, God slates the bad shepherds for these things. He slates them for only looking after themselves. He slates them for not strengthening the weak. He slates them for not caring for the sick and the injured. He slates them for not going after the lost. And he slates them for leading harshly. 
And of course, as I prepared this this week, I was thinking, oh my goodness, how am I doing against that checklist in my leadership as someone who's a religious leader? Am I only looking after myself? Am I failing to strengthen the weak? How am I doing at praying for the sick, being close to the brokenhearted? How much energy am I putting after and going after the lost? And am I leading gently and compassionately? It's quite a challenge. And in this passage, Jesus is throwing that out to these Pharisees. And they're not really clocking what's going on. But of course, these things aren't just about me. They're about anyone who thinks they're in with God. So if you call yourself a Christian today and you follow Jesus... You can also check, how are you doing? How are we doing as a church? As a church, if we just look after ourselves, that's not good enough. If we don't bother with the weak, it's not good enough. And so on, and so on. And perhaps after this pandemic, how are we doing at staying in touch and going after those who've had a difficult time, who may have drifted? And being lost. So there's quite a kind of weight thrown back at these Pharisees, and Jesus is saying, You are not the way to life. I am the gate, I am the way to life in all its fullness. So, what does it mean that Jesus is a gate? Well, sheep pens at the time were made from one sort of solid wall and they would have just one gap in the wall. And in that gap, there might have been a gate. And in some places, there wasn't really a gate at all. And the shepherd himself would lie down and act as the gate. Jesus is the gate, the way in to the safety of the pen, the way in to being saved. And he is the only way, the only gate, the only way in to being saved and protected from all that's bad. But I love this passage because, you know, Jesus doesn't trap us in a confined pen. Have you had a little look at verse 9? I love verse 9. It's not that we're trapped in a sort of confined space where we're sort of, you know, made like infants, where we're bored or sort of robotic sheep trapped in the safety of just a pen. No, verse 9 says this. It says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The gate that Jesus is, is the way into eternal life, the way into safety, yes, but also the way through which you can go out to the pastures safely. I don't know if you've um, ever done any uh, parenting courses in church. We sometimes run the, the one that comes from Holy Trinity Brompton, or there's another one called the Circle of Security. 
And in these parenting courses, they talk about parents creating a, an environment where their children feel safe enough to kind of wander from them, to make mistakes, to grow and learn, but know that they can come back in to the embrace of their, their parent. And that that is good parenting. Not that we keep our kids safe and muddy coddle them and strangle them and suffocate them, but that we set them free within a bound of security. And Jesus does just that for us. He's the gate where he brings us right in close to him and saves us from our sins protects us from the evil one but he also opens his arms wide and sends us out into the pastures to frolic freely to be creative to enjoy life as he intended and he does that with certain boundaries but those boundaries release even a greater freedom in us you know it's it's a simple isn't it like it, Nicola don't look at your phone all the time says God to me why God what's the problem with looking at my phone all the time well we know don't we it gives us poor, poor eyesight it's not really bad for our it's kind of bad for our mental health because we're just it creates distraction we lose concentration it, it all these kind of things and we think oh God doesn't mean that I can't ever use my phone, but he's saying, rein it in, Nicola, because it's going to be better for you if you do. And he says that says things about all kinds of things in our life, doesn't he? Like, don't lie, don't steal, don't, all these kind of things, not to trap us in somewhere, but in order to set us free, to give us the life he fully intended. And so this is a beautiful passage. And there's more richness if we had more time that we could kind of explore within the imagery. Of course, when you think of the gate, the other bits of scripture that come to mind is when you go back to the people of God as they escaped from Egypt. And what did they have to do over their gates and over their doorposts? They put the blood of the lamb. As Jesus acts as our gate... He flings himself out into the dark side, as it were, to take the brutal punishment and sacrifice of that upon himself and keeps us in. And so these kind of images begin to kind of merge together in the richness of God, Jesus being our gate. It's very deep and there's, there's more we could say as we, we look at all this. But it's important, I think, to land by saying our Christian faith is not primarily a set of rules like the Pharisees had. At its heart is a relationship with the shepherd. A relationship where you can hear his voice. A relationship where he longs to give you life in all its fullness. And is wooing you back to Eden, is working to reverse the fall. And so as we approach Easter coming up, 
I think just the big challenge from this is will we listen to him calling our name? Will you allow him to renew afresh your mind, to refresh your souls, and to bestow upon you life in all its fullness? Shall we stand as we pray, if you're able, just to um, land?